Hello, everyone. Welcome to UFC Unwrapped. It's a very special episode for you guys today. My name is Perry Aston, joined by Brent Sahadi. What's going on, buddy? What's going on? We have Juan Adams with us. He was just on the last pay-per-view, if you guys didn't see. Big fighter in the UFC, so we're very, very excited to have him on chatting with us today. Before we get in, we want to remind you guys to listen to us on Anchor. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere that you're listening to podcasts, you can find UFC Unwrapped now. On Twitter, at UFC Unwrapped, Brent does an amazing job with that Twitter, so go get interactive with him. Thanks, sir. Follow our network account at Unwrapped Sports, our website, unwrappedsports.com. Follow me at Perry Aston. Follow me at Brent Sahadi with a X, not an A. We have Juan Adams at Chosen Juan285 on Twitter, and we, we were just chatting about before the podcast, newly verified. So congrats to our buddy Juan over here. But just wanted to start off by asking you some questions, kind of open up the floor about your career. Uh, we'll chat a little bit about the UFC. But just before we do, wanted to ask you how you're doing, man. Uh, how's life been for you after the pay-per-view i know we were just talking about you getting verified things are blowing up for you so i wanted to ask what's life looking like for juan adams right now i know that's looking all right just kind of moving going along with it about a week removed uh from the fight now so i'm just doing my thing and, and trying to get everything done um you know trying to plan the next steps uh what we're gonna do um make some changes that are necessary and just kind of go from there yeah that's it but being verified is pretty pretty cool i can filter things a lot more so i don't have to deal with a lot of the negativity anymore <laughs> we get that you said the filtering for twitter was pretty over the top so i'm loving that i know i'm working towards getting verified myself so i got a little bit of jealousy right now if you can't tell my voice <laughs> oh yeah man I, I'm, I'm loving it right now but you do have a you do have a lot of love on twitter man i hope you're not missing all of that because there are a lot of people who do support you who want to see you come back bigger and better than you were before that kind of pins into the first question i wanted to ask you was because i mean clearly as a heavyweight fighter you have a much higher risk factor going into a fight people always talk about like who's the pound for pound gray and you have no room for error in the heavyweight division which is what we saw in the last fight. And, I mean, you acknowledged everything that happened in that fight. So I just kind of want to hear your preparation going into a fight because you have to understand going into a fight at heavyweight, you, there is no room for error. So how do you mentally prepare yourself for that going in? You know, we, we try not to really focus on the... I mean, when you focus on negative stuff too much, you know, it kind of one of those unfulfilling prophecy type deals. So... You know, you just got to really drill in and get the get the muscle movements down and try and make everything, you know, muscle memory and, and, and second nature. So you're not having to think uh, too much out there and everything's kind of just everything kind of just flows, um, you know, but uh, it's, it's one of those things. Um, anything can can cause into a mistake. You know, you might see something in there last second and. and go for something to make you adjust and you know that's usually where the mistakes come and those little adjustments um but if you stick to your preparation uh it doesn't usually happen yeah no i bet and the adjustments is what makes you a great fighter and i'm sure it's the hardest thing in the world to do that on the cuff uh i got a question yeah. for you man i know with your nicknames i know i saw the kraken and i know on twitter it's the chosen one which one do you prefer and is there a little story behind either of those two nicknames yeah, so um, 
the Kraken nickname really stems because I, I drink a lot of Kraken. That's where that one came from. Um, <laughs> That's funny, bro. It's easier to say uh, the chosen one. The chosen one kind of originated um, MySpace era, actually. And um, with that one, it was um, it was one of those things where I was kind of just I, I did everything uh, at that age. Um, my middle school didn't have football, so I just played every other sport there. You know, I was one of those guys that was kind of just good at. at everything I tried, so, you know, it was, uh, like, a running joke that I was, like, the chosen one, and I just made my, uh, that was a pretty popular nickname on MySpace, so I switched it to, um, Chosen One, because I thought it was funnier. Oh, it's much uh, funnier. <laughs> yeah, so it just kind of stuck, and, um, you know, that name stuck with me all the way through college, really, so it's just been my nickname for a while. And so you were saying that you tried a lot of different sports, felt like you were good at everything, but I mean, you're 27 right now and you've been a pro for a minute. You're 6'5", you cut weight to make 265 if I'm correct. So it was kind of a given you were going to fight, right? Because I feel like asking you how you knew you wanted to be a fighter might be a dumb question. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't really a given. You know, I, I wrestled in college and and after that, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I know I didn't want to use my degree. So I was kind of just floating around doing a bunch of different stuff. And, um, you know, I was using my wrestling to treat me like it, it was giving me extra jobs at that point. So I would coach. I was coaching in an MMA gym. I coached wrestling at a middle school and a high school. And then I did privates for wrestling for, uh, for fighters or, or people that were doing professional grappling and things like that. So uh, I was actually, I had an NFL tryout lined up and, you know, I was never going to really play. It was going to be one of those things where best case scenario, I was going to make a practice squad, but that was still better money than a day job. So I was like, yeah, I'll try that. And uh, after six months of it, they wanted me to wait another year before even trying to get on a practice squad. So I just said, nah. And at that point, I was like 320. So I was like, yeah, if I could make make weight to fight, I'll, I'll do it. I'd love to do it. So uh, we accepted an amateur fight. And that was kind of more so to just like lose the weight at the time. I was bouncing at, at a nightclub, too. And I was getting into fights there. And those weren't really fights, but uh, <laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> so you were just dismantling uh, human beings outside of nightclubs kind of thing. And then it yeah, just kind of looked like those, you should do this legally. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, then we accepted the fight, and, you know, once I made the weight, it, uh, I would usually get up to about 305, 310 between fights, um, but now, um, you know, after my first loss, uh, I started treating it more like a lifestyle, and I don't ever get above 290 now, so... Okay. I was going to say, when you said 320, that's a 55-pound difference than where you're at now. That is a ton of weight yeah. shed, and I know bouncing up and down, it's crazy. I had... Uh, in college, one of my buddies was a wrestler on the ASU team, and he was always cutting weight and doing the craziest regimens, and we were living together for a while. So I got to at least see a wrestler's regimen firsthand, and they do not mess around. Heavyweight, featherweight, I don't care where you're wrestling, you know, what weight you are, you are prepping, you're cutting weight. It's the mental you know, agony of it as well. So I totally respect wrestlers and you can see it with you in the UFC, you know, being a wrestler, how can that not help? You know, you are mat automatically 
have the advantage on the ground. And like you were saying, I'm sure your fists are pretty damn strong too. Outside of nightclubs, you're getting those, those knockouts in. I know that was probably just easy for you. That was nothing. But I had a question. I know you were mentioning the football phase for you. And I know I saw you broke your hand in high school, so you didn't really get any college offers. And I'm sure that's what took you into wrestling. Um, so what were the two teams? I believe when I read it was what? Colts and Packers, right? I just was curious to kind of hear. Yeah. I know you said it wasn't too long with your experience there, but what any stories at all from either of those two training camps or any of those two tryouts? Anything fun that yeah, you can bring so up from that? I didn't even really make it to the training camp. Uh, the Colts, they have like a special project team or whatever where they just find other athletes or alternative athletes, what they like to call them, that they think have potential. And, uh, you know, so that was kind of the first team. And after three or four months, they kind of just stopped talking to me. Okay. And the Packers were coming down actually to look at somebody else that was at the same facility that I was at. And they got really interested in me. And um, they were kind of like, oh, you know, you wait another year, you can really – I mean, you think you've got potential to do this. And I just kind of was tired of it at that time. Like, I love working out. So I like going in there and lifting, but I just don't really like football that much. Yeah, um, yeah you got to have your heart in it or else it feels so, like a, a job. Uh, and, you know, all of my friends at this time are, are fighters or people I know from the MMA gym. Uh, everyone, uh, when I was, I wasn't really a, a bouncer. I was. I was like, I was head of security and I was general manager for a nightclub. So I was mostly staffing stuff. And, but everyone that I hired was a fighter. So all the people that I'm hanging out with after work are in the gym all the time and stuff like that. And so, no, I feel. I've been I've been running day clubs, nightclubs, and bars for years now. So when it comes to all the fights and being hectic there, I can 100% relate to that, man. And I know my security guards were hogs. So I I feel you, man. I felt a lot safer when I had my fighters up at the front. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so those those tryouts. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, I, I I met a lot of NFL players through it um, and hung out with them, and uh, we became pretty cool. But it's just it was something that I never really liked. Like we would all go and watch, uh, like watch college football and stuff on the weekends at like a wing stop or something like that or a wing place. But it's just one of those things that I was never really passionate about. Um, it was fun though. Met some really cool people. Got some really good workouts. I got really like freakishly strong doing that stuff. Um, oh, I bet. But. Uh, it was it was getting getting a little rough on the body, so I'm glad things took the turn they did. So when you started getting yourself involved with mixed martial arts, changing it up from wrestling, comfortable with what was your strongest asset besides wrestling? It was really just uh, like I, I really liked clinch stuff, so I would work, uh, and I don't do this now because uh, you know you gotta keep in mind I've only been training mixed martial arts since January of 2016. Right. So, you know, I, my style pretty much changes almost every fight now. <laughs> you know, we're learning a lot of stuff. And so at the time, the thing that was most comfortable for me was, um, it was like clinch stuff. And uh, I really liked throwing kicks at that time because it's like, okay, if they grab my leg and take me down, I'll, I'll still be all right. Or, if they grab my leg, usually I ended up on top, even uh, from the bad position. So 
that was uh that was one of my favorite things to do. Now I don't do that. Now I, I like staying up and, and boxing more than anything. How you're saying you change up every fight? Do you watch film on your opponents at all, or do you kind of just go in there with your own game plan, not specific to the next guy in line? We really go in there with with our own game plan. Uh, the last couple of fights, I think we watched a little bit of film. I don't personally watch it. I let my I leave that up to my coaches, and it's only a game plan, and I try to execute from that. But we, I personally don't like watching a lot of film because I get, you know, I start thinking, uh, start thinking too much about what could go wrong, and you know, what if this guy does that? What if he does this, that, and the other? But at the end of the day, you know. You're gonna get hit, so it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fight. Everyone gets hit. So. Yeah, everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the face, and then everything right. changes. And I'm sure you would have hated football with the amount of film that they're forced to watch. So that's a good thing that we slipped out while we did, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, question for me: I know I saw you in Dana White's Contender Series, uh, season two, episode seven, back in July 2018 when you faced Sean Teed. I know that's when you got signed by the UFC. Give me that fight. Give me the story of how you maybe got hooked up with Dana White to get into the Contender Series. How's your life changed since then? Um, so for that fight, it was actually through uh, Mick Mick Maynard, um, and I got hooked through that. Through my managers is really good at these connections, but when I was fighting for LFA, um, right after my amateur career, LFA. I was uh, supposed to do an am- for an amateur title fight with them, and that opponent backed out. So they decided to make it my pro debut instead, and I signed an exclusive four-fight contract with them. And in the contract, it was right when Contender Series had come out. So they said that, you know, if you get an offer from the UFC or Contender Series, you're, you're free to leave this contract. That was... At the time, it was not Mick Maynard, but his wife that was running LFA. Uh, he was at a lot of the shows, and uh, he was actually at my third pro fight. And it was really funny. Uh, after that fight, I took a picture with him, and I, I think I tweeted out, like, one day this is going to be my boss. And, um, you know, so I was at, a, at some fights later, and my manager had mentioned Contender Series, and he had said that he was going to speak to Mick Maynard and Dana about getting me on there. Uh, and then Mick was actually at some LFA fights in Houston and, uh, he saw me and pulled me aside and said he was thinking about putting me on. Him and my manager continued to talk and then, uh, a couple mo- couple weeks later I got my, my offer and the date and everything and we went up there. But, you know, my life changed a lot since that fight. That fight was one of those fights that it gave me, well, I think I, I gained like 2,000 followers on Instagram from that fight and i was like trending on twitter for a little bit uh it was a really big fight for me uh it changed things a lot you know it uh, opened up a lot of sponsorship opportunities for me and, and things like that and that's the fight where i really switched to training full-time so that was uh that was a really big and important fight for me still one of my favorite fights uh to this day really probably always will be yep so you brought up the sponsorships can you give us your insight on exactly how different it is to be part of the Reebok deal versus having independent sponsors when that you were able to have in LFA now that you're in the UFC? Yeah, for sure. Um, honestly, I mean, I personally make pretty much the same 
the thing is, um, with LFA, it's, it was really hard. Not hard for me, I'm pretty good about my social media and things like that, but when you're doing sponsors for things like that, a lot of people want to sign up for per-fight deals, and, you know, obviously they want most of their return from being on TV, on your, you know, fight poster, what you're doing, the appearances and stuff after, and things like that. But it's really hard, and it's not, not it's very rarely um, consistent. You know, it's very hard to get consistent sponsorships like that. With Reebok, you know, you know you're guaranteed at least 3500 per fight, and it goes up after, uh, I think on my fourth fight, it'll be, it'll increase a little bit. So this is my last fight under the first tier of Reebok sponsorship. So I personally like it, and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, and a lot of fighters complain, but I feel like most of the people that are complaining are guys that really wouldn't be making that much from Reebok uh, without Reebok anyway. Because um, you're looking at it, you're getting a guaranteed $3,500 minimum from a sponsor. Right. Um, for me, like my biggest sponsor outside of uh, Reebok is gives me 2500 a month. Okay. But I, I set my sponsorships up to where they sign like multi-year agreements or minimum six-month agreements up to three-year agreements. Yeah. So I don't do it per fight. I do it, you know, per month. You know, I and I tier. It's different tiers for, you know, the type of exposure they'll get on each different page and on which interviews, uh, national, international, and local interviews that I do. The, the sponsorship world, is it's very business-oriented, and if you don't have any experience in that, or at least somebody guiding you properly, it's very hard to navigate, very hard to, you know, make a profit or even stay afloat from that. Most definitely. I know sponsorships, it's a nitty-gritty world when it comes down to the business part of that. Uh, I just got a question. I know we were talking about your nickname, The Kraken, earlier, and you're talking about sponsorships. Tell me that's an official sponsorship for you now. And if it's not, I'm on your team to try and get them. They are not. uh, You know, it's funny, for my first few amateur fights, the local Kraken representative, they would show up to whatever nightclub I was doing my after party right. at, and they would always host an event there, and uh, they would <laughs> give us a bunch of free drinks. And then, yeah, since then it hasn't really been that much of a thing. No, they're not an official sponsor. It'd be great if they were. Uh, I love crack, and I actually since my fight I've uh, downed about half a half a handle of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an official sponsorship, cracking. But if you want it to be, it hundred percent can be. so just we had a question if you know if you don't feel comfortable answering it of course but just about we were just talking sponsorships and stuff and that was really interesting me your contract that you have now fight to fight on that you're not doing any like extended deals on your contract how is that working all of mine are uh, extended deals i don't do fight to fight i know a lot of fighters um get kind of roped into these two and three fights uh, sponsorship deals may only pay you when you fight. I didn't want that. So for me, uh, mine are extended ones. So my sponsorship with Rhino Pro, I think, is for... I signed that one right after my Contender Series fight, and that was for three years. My Fleming Attorney sponsorship, they've been with me since my uh, LFA debut i think so that's been a constant one um that one's for i think two or three more years and then 
Oh, uh, Hemp Lab in, in Houston. They signed a, a six-month one. Um, Very cool. So all of mine are minimum six months up to three years. Okay. I mean, you're smart. You're taking care of yourself long-term, so I definitely see where your head's at with that one. Uh, just, I, I had a question. I know you said you have a really good team behind you, You know, your managers. I'm sure you got a whole team that is looking after you PR purpose-wise. I was just curious if you wanted to plug any of them or if there's anything that they've done that's really shifted big waves in your career. I know a lot of the credit goes to people beyond the fighters sometimes. So I was curious if there's anything you wanted to say about anyone that's on your team in particular or any fun stories or anything like that about your core team. Oh, you know, uh, Mata Leon Management is, uh, that's my management company. And uh, they've done, I mean, they've done everything that they said they would. Uh, they've gotten uh, sped up the timeline for me, really. Um, you know, there's not many people that make it into the UFC with less than two years of <laughs> pro experience, you know? Oh, yeah. So. And you know, then the rest of my team is just uh, a pretty fun group of guys. The guys over at the, the Fight Lab and, and Paradigm, super fun. Uh, you know, they, they're kind of my main training partners and where I do most of my training. And then my strength and conditioning and nutritionist coach, and he, he coaches a lot of the MMA too. Uh, the cheat meal is uh, what he goes by on Instagram. And, you know, he's the one that's behind a lot of the shenanigans and, uh, you know, anytime you hear about a, a scuffle or, uh, or you know, some debauchery, it's uh, <laughs> it's probably yeah, he didn't get this time, but uh, out in Vegas, uh, you know, he was he uh, he had a little incident, and then uh, Milwaukee, there was a little thing, but it's always fun, you know. We're always going out. He's the one that keeps me on the on the foodie track, and you know, main one that keeps my weight as low as it is. Even when I do eat dirty, you know, he kind of brings me back, brings me in a little bit. <laughs> so you do all this preparation for the mind and the body going into your fights. I had a specific question regarding the preparation for your last fight. There's a lot of negativity and a lot of animosity going around uh, Greg Hardy's name, right? And you were the guy next in line to kind of put this guy in his place. Does having animosity towards a guy going into a fight change anything about your mental preparation do you do you hate the fact that there was animosity between you guys there was some sort of beef going on yeah um you know i i still stand behind like what i feel about that guy the the big thing is um you know what i will apologize for is that you know it, it wasn't my spot to bring that to light um you know that's on him uh that's something that he should have done uh, and I still stand by that. You know, it's things that he should do. He should handle that how he sees fit. But that wasn't on me to do. But, you know, the animosity is still there. Um, I still don't approve of the things that he's done. But he's been pretty gracious in, in victory and, and stuff like that. So, you know, the animosity, it, it doesn't, it helped me in training, you know, because every time I wanted to, you know, give up training or my training was a lot more consistent this time because I, there was that added animosity. Right. Only problem was, you know, in the cage there's, it was still there and, you know, I, I lost control and I abandoned the game plan. So, there, there's that. There needs to be a balance because for me, a lot of times in these fights, I, I don't feel anything going in there. You know, it's hard for me to even get pumped up about the fight. Right. Uh, 
And then this time, I was, like, all about the fight, and I was a little bit, like, too into it. So, you know, you, you got to find a, a fine balance and fine line. And it's one of those things where we don't really know how I'm going to fight best because I haven't, I don't have a whole lot of experience doing it, you know. So, we're, um, you know, it's one of those things where I have to go and make changes, and we still have to kind of find what works for me. Luckily, we know two things that don't work now, so that's two things off the table, and uh, just moving forward from that. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying there, and I know we saw a quote with you mentioning that you spoke to his uncle in the lobby, and it opened up your eyes a little bit to, you know, maybe some things about him, and I know you wished him a good career. I'm just curious if you wanted to give us any insight about how that conversation with his uncle happened in the lobby, and maybe what changed. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too into no all problem. the details of it, but he, um, you know, he, he told me a, a lot of things uh, about Greg and, and regarding that situation, and it was like, you should you know, talk to him about it, and that's not something I was willing to do at the time, but it made me reflect a lot on it, and, you know, just about judgment and, and mistakes and, and repentance and all that, and granted, I, I still don't agree with him or anything like that, but like I said, it's not on me to call that stuff out anymore, like, I'm not changing my stance on what he's done or any of that, but it's something that he needs to resolve. It's not on me, and that's not on something. Right. It's not on other people to to do anymore. That's something that he needs to do. Um, and like wishing him a good career. That's more like, I, yeah, you know, I don't want to be. I want it to go down as him being, you know, some scrub or you know, never really amounting to anything. Because I lost to that guy. You know, what, what does that make me look like? You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. I mean, you look like a competitor. That's if you're going to ask me, regardless of how any fight goes. You know, your 5-2 and two record speaks for itself. You were fighting before that 5-2 and two record. You had an amazing performance in the Contender Series, and just like any other fighter that's ever lost, you're going to come back. And you like Brent said earlier, the fan reaction that I've personally seen on Twitter, even a few of our network members that are big fans of yours in our UFC department, just everyone is rooting for you, man. I know for us, it was absolute pleasure for me to be able to get you on the podcast because you know, it's a conversation I've been waiting to have myself. I know Brent too. So thank you again so much for, for joining us and sharing some of those you know, comments about Greg Hardy. I know, of course, not all of them are going to be comfortable, but we really do appreciate you being vocal with that. We got to get back to it, uh, get back to work and you know, um, I'm looking forward to training and getting back in the gym. You know, I've had my, my mandatory week off, but I'm, I'm ready to get back to work. And so who's next in line for you? Do you have a particular guy you're calling out, or are you more focused on in conversations on getting a rematch with Greg Hardy right now, or maybe down the line you want to rematch with him? What's next for you? What do you want? You know, I, I would love uh, a quick rematch uh, with him, but I... I also understand how this business works, and I don't see that happening. Um, you know, I'm not really calling anyone out either because I wasn't looking at any other fighters right. um, on this one. And so for me, it's, yeah, I would like to get back in there. Uh, probably not by the end of the year, but early in the next year. Um, like January, February timeline will be great for me. And, you know, we... We want someone in there that, that you know, similar to me, uh, maybe another prospect or, you know, another guy coming off a loss. I, I don't know exactly who I want or, or what I would want. 
Uh, obviously, top of that list would be a rematch with Greg, but realistically, what would happen is, you know, I'll have to win three or four more fights, and he'll probably have to, you know, lose one or two of his next ones before me to for me to get that opportunity. But yeah, that's one of the first times, the only time in my career I've ever really wanted a rematch with someone. So it's uh, it's tough, but we're we're looking forward and moving on to the next thing. And our focus right now is just improving, you know, getting better. Uh, I want to get to the point where even if I do, you know, take a bad shot or, or something like that, I can recover right now because recently I've just kind of paused or, or frozen in bad situations, and you can't do that in this division. Totally. Especially with the risk factor you have fighting exactly. at heavyweight. There's really no room at all for error. These, the lighter division, those guys, they have room for error. They get punched in the face a couple times. They're like, okay, don't do that again. Whatever, whatever <laughs> caused me to get hit, don't do that. You don't have that opportunity. It's You get hit, the fight is over usually. Right. And uh, that's, that's why heavyweight guys, I mean, I think that they should get paid more than any other division. I think every fighter should get paid what they're worth, but heavyweight's something special. And that kind of leads um, into my next question is, do you have any role models that you admire that you try to perform their style in a way or not necessarily bite their style, but any boxers or professionals in the MMA world that you look for as a role model? No, not really. Um, you know, it's one of those things where with MMA, there's so many nuances to it and the combination of so many different styles that um, it's really hard to fight exactly like anyone. Um, my thing is, you know, I just want to learn it, learn as much as possible and develop a style from there because right now I don't even really have a style. Like My style right now is, you know, volume. I throw a lot of volume and I always move forward, you know, that's, that's, but that leaves a lot, a lot of room for improvement and it's a good base, but you know, I've, I've got a lot more to learn. Uh, and honestly, I don't watch the sport enough to, um, I don't watch other heavyweights. I watch a lot of lighter guys go, but trying to emulate those styles, uh, wouldn't end well for me. You know, I don't see myself throwing a bunch of flying spinning kicks and stuff like that. So yeah. And just a question that I had kind of bouncing off Brent. I know you said if you were looking at anybody that you were emulating throughout your journey, just share some advice for our younger listeners that may be looking to get into what you've been doing throughout your life. If that may not just be the UFC, everything that you've listed so far in this interview, is there any advice that you have for any of your fans or any of our younger listeners that would love to, you know, make something of their life and are looking at you as a role model? Yeah, man, uh, the biggest thing is, even if you don't know what you want to do or, or where you want to be at, it's you, the right attitude is, is everything. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I failed or I haven't gotten the outcome that I wanted, but you know, my reaction and my attitude for it created more opportunities for me in areas that I otherwise wouldn't have looked for. You know, when, like I said, when I was, when I was really young, um, you know, thing things happened, and when I was when I got in high school, you know, I wanted to play collegiate football. I broke my hand, but that led me to, you know, devoting more energy towards wrestling, and I ended up getting a, a wrestling scholarship, Division One, and that laid the ground, laid the foundation for me to get to the UFC. And then, you know, in, in college, you know, there were times where. We didn't know if I was going to make it back a semester or, you know, sometimes my grades would slip a little bit and it just made me work harder. 
uh, graduating college, you know, my mom passed away, and that's not something I wanted, but, you know, it made me kind of move down home, and I had to become responsible, and I had to do things and, and grow up really quickly, and, uh, you know, that type of fortitude and, you know, that reaction to the change, it allowed me to get where I am today, and it gave me a type of mental strength that uh, a lot of people don't have. So I got a quick question off UFC. I know you're from Houston. I'm assuming born and raised from there. If I ever go check out Houston, give me some spots to go eat, maybe some cool stuff that you want to rep from your hometown. Give us some of our Houston fans okay. some love. Hands down, you have got to try Saigon House in Houston. It is, uh, it's via Cajun. Okay. It's one of the, one of the best food spots you're going to find. Um, you know, so you got Saigon House, um, there's a couple of coffee shops down here, uh, Sela Coffee Roasters. Wow. They do their own roasting and things down here of coffee. They're a great spot to hit up. And, uh, dude, all the food, man, you just go through the heights, there's great food. You know, one of my new favorite dirty spots is uh, Big City Wings. And there's a uh, Boss Cat Kitchen and Libations. That's okay. a whiskey. Yeah, it's a whiskey bar, but mm. they've got really cool food. Okay. They have a they have a Captain Crunch cocktail, which is pretty pretty amazing. Oh, BCK, yeah, same mm. owner, BCK and Bobcat. So those are those are two places to hit up for sure. We're plugging Houston. That's fantastic. One last question. I know I saw your picture with your uh, new favorite dog. I know you said you're a big dog dude. Tell me a little bit about how much you love your girls' dogs. I'm the biggest dog fan in the world, and I saw you had a little favorite friend of yours. So let's just shout out the pup. Yeah, uh, little Boston Terriers, man. They, uh, yeah, they got me. I, I'm a <laughs> big dog guy, and uh, you know, when we first started dating, I was like, uh, she's got the tiny little, little rat dogs. You know, I thought they would be super annoying, right. but they're not. Uh, you know, you know, it's good. everybody I know uh, that meets them loves them. So, uh, you know, my coaches like them. Uh, my roommates, also my strength and conditioning coach. Uh, they love him. They always jump on him. The only bad thing I'll say about him is like they have, like they do not care about personal space or boundaries or anything. <laughs> I think that's all dogs. You, you know take up all the space. <laughs> if they want attention, yeah. What space, Juan? Yeah, what space are you leaving for these dogs, man? Yeah, you know, I'll be sitting on the couch or whatever, and I'll be on my phone, and it'll put its paw on my screen, <laughs> push my phone away, or if I'm laying there, it puts its uh, head like right in my neck. And just lays out. Oh, you man. That, that, that is so cute. I know I saw the picture of you cuddling up with it. And I thought it was hilarious. Almost like you're oh, as hilarious as your header on Twitter with That's the other Tyra picture. Woodley, I'm, I'm crying. Oh, yeah. Me, me and T-Word. You and T-Word. Hey, that, that, that shirt is something else. I'm loving that button down that you're wearing, by the way, man. That colorful button down oh, yeah. is something else. That's a full-on romper, actually. Ooh. Uh, yeah, so I, I ordered a couple more. But, you know, I, I only ordered two because they only make them in a 2XL. And as uh, T. Wood pointed out, that one had um, – that button was struggling on that one. <laughs> We're looking for more brightly colored shirts for sure. Uh, got a really good fan reaction from that one. So I'm, I'm glad people people liked it as much as they did. If any of our fans are running any type of romper company and are looking to get into the triple XL market, I know Juan would appreciate a few sent to his place. <laughs> oh yeah for sure alright there you go guys it meant the world to us that you gave us as much time as you did and um, you were very open and honest about your personal life 
you gave some advice to our younger audience and you really just shared some personal touching stories. We really, really appreciate that. Yeah, man. We got some fashion advice from you. We got food advice from Texas. We got fight advice. So you got all types of stuff from Juan Adams today. And I know all of you know he's going to be back as soon as possible, bigger and better than ever, even though we don't think bigger is even a possibility for you, my man. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much Hopefully again. Hopefully like, seven or eight weeks from now, we can get you back on. Yeah, man. We'd love to keep this relationship open and chat with you down the line. You know, when you got something you want to gas up or promote, we would love to, you know, share that with our listeners and have you on for a chat whenever you had time in the future. Sure, man. No problem. Have a good one. Juan, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of UFC Unwrapped. We want to remind all you guys before signing off that you can listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find UFC Unwrapped. Follow us on Twitter at UFC Unwrapped, our network account at Unwrapped Sports. You can go to the website at unwrappedsports.com. Follow me at Perry Aston. Follow me at Brent Sahadi. And of course, our special guest, Juan Adams at The Chosen Juan 285, one of the best nicknames that we know around. And wanted to sign off and thank you guys so much for listening to us and enjoy the card.